Today, I'm speaking with Jan Leiker. Since 2021, Jan has been head of alignment at OpenAI, and along with OpenAI founder Ilya Satskova, he is going to be co-leading their new super alignment project. Thanks for coming back on the podcast, Jan. Thanks a lot for having me again. It's really great to be here. Why Jan is optimistic. I think actually like a lot of things, a lot of development over the last few years have been pretty favorable to alignment, right? I think like large language models are actually super helpful because they understand, they can understand natural language, right? They know so much about humans. Like you can ask them what like, you know, what it would be a moral action under this and this philosophy and they can give you a really good explanation of it. They also, by being able to like talk to them and like express your views, it's like it makes a lot of things easier. At the same time, they're in some sense like a blank slate where like you can find to them with fairly little data to be so effective. So if you compare this to like how the path to AGI or like how the development in AI looked like a few years ago, it seemed like we were going to train you know, like some deep RL agents in a, an environment like Universe, which is just a collection of like different games and, and other environments. And so they might get really smart, like trying to solve all of these games, but they wouldn't necessarily have a deep understanding of, of language or like how humans think about morality or what humans care about or how the world works. The other thing that I think has been really favorable is like what we've seen from the alignment techniques we've tried so far. So... Like I already mentioned, like InstructGPT worked so much better than I ever had hoped for. Or like even when we did like the Deep RL from Human Preferences paper, I think, so I came into it like being like a f- more than even chance that wouldn't even, we wouldn't be able to make it work that well in like the time that we had. But it did work and like InstructGPT worked really well. And like to some extent, like you could argue, like you could argue, well, these are not techniques that align super intelligence. So why are you so optimistic? But I think it still provides evidence that like this is working because if we couldn't even get today's systems to align, like I think we should be more pessimistic. And so the like, converse also holds. I want to give you a bunch more reasons because I think there's a lot of reasons. And I think also, I think fundamentally the most important thing is that I think alignment is tractable. I think we can actually make a lot of progress if we focus on it and we effort and put a lot of effort into it. And I think, you know, like, um, there's a lot of research progress to be made that we can like actually make with a small dedicated team over the course of a, of, of a year or four. Honestly, it really feels like we have a real angle of attack on the problem that we can like actually iterate on, we can actually build towards. And I think it's like pretty likely going to work, actually. And that's really, really wild and it's really, really exciting. Like we have this like hard problem that we've been talking about for years and years and years. And now we like have a real shot at actually solving it. And that's be so good if we did. Yeah. (laughs) But some of the other reasons why I'm optimistic is like, I think fundamentally evaluation is easier in generation for a lot of tasks that we care about, including alignment research, which is why I think we can, you know, get a lot of leverage by using AI to automate parts of all of alignment research. And in particular, you know, if you you can think about like classical computer science problems like P versus NP, right? Like you have these kind of problems where it's fundamentally, like we believe it's fundamentally easier to evaluate. And it's true for a lot of consumer products. Like if you're buying a smartphone, it's so much easier to pick a good smartphone than it is to buy build a smartphone. Or, you know, like 
in organizations, if you're like hiring someone, it's like it has to be easier to figure out whether they're doing a good job than to do their job. Otherwise, you can't like you should work by yourself. You, you don't know who to hire, right? Like, yeah, and like it couldn't, it wouldn't work. Or like if you if you think about like sports and games, where right? like sports wouldn't be fun to watch if you didn't know who won the game. And like, yeah, it's like. It is. It can be hard to figure out like was the current move a good move, but you'll find out later, and that's what makes it exciting. Uh, you you have like this tension of like you're oh this was an interesting move. What's going to happen? But like in the end of the game, right? You look at the chessboard, you look at the go board. You like you know who won. At the end of the day, everyone knows. Or like if you if you're watching like a soccer game, like the ball goes in the goal, it's a goal. That's it. Everyone knows. And I think, you know, it is also true for scientific research, right? Like there's like certain research results that people are excited about, even though they didn't know how, about, how to produce them. And like sometimes we're wrong about this, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we can do this task perfectly. It's just that it's easier. The super alignment team isn't trying to train a really good ML researcher. You know, like our, our overall goal is to like kind of get to a point where we can, you know, automate alignment research. And what this kind of doesn't mean is like we're not trying to train a system that's really good at ML research or that like is really smart or something. Um, that's not super alignment job. Okay. Basically, yeah, I, think, I think a lot of people have been thinking that that's uh, <laughs> I think I think they've read your announcement and say that you're, you're trying to train a really good ML researcher basically i don't think this would like particularly differentially help alignment i think it would be good to clarify i think so basically what i understand our job is like once there's models that like can do ml research or like you know things that are close to it i think that is something that's going to happen anyway and that will happen like whether you know OpenAI does it or not but our job is kind of to figure out how to make it sufficiently aligned that we can trust the alignment research or like the alignment research assistance that it is producing. Because essentially, if you're kind of like asking this system to help you in your alignment research, there's like this big opportunity for the system to kind of like influence or try to nudge us into believing certain techniques are really good that are actually aren't. And thus like let that system or future systems gain power over humans in a way that we actually don't want and that isn't aligned with us. And so, like, what we ultimately need to do is figure out, like, how to make that system sufficiently aligned that we can actually trust it. And so that means, for example, let's say this for simplicity, right? Like, the system writes an alignment paper. Now, you can read the paper, um, but, like, just off the bat, you might not actually be able to find all the, like, flaws in the paper. Or, like, there's also, in general, right, like... Scientific peer review is not perfect, and there's lots of examples where people go for decades with like fake research before they're being found out. And so this is something that we have to really figure out how to avoid. So um, because you know alignment research or scientific research in general is a difficult task that humans aren't that good at evaluating, at least not if you like you know don't have a lot of time to do it. The question then becomes, what kind of alignment techniques? do we need in order to be sufficiently confident that this is the case? If you're thinking about, like, how do you actually align a superintelligence? How do you align the system that's vastly smarter than humans? I don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't think anyone really has an answer. But it's also not the problem that we fundamentally need to solve, right? Because 
Like maybe this problem isn't even solvable by like humans who live today. But there's this like easier problem, which is like, how do you align the system that is the next generation? How do you align GPDN plus one? And that is a substantially easier problem. And then even more, if humans can solve that problem, then so should a virtual system that is as smart as the humans working on the problem. And so if you get that virtual system to be aligned, it can then solve you know, the alignment problem for GPT N plus one, and then you can iteratively bootstrap yourself until you, you know, actually you're like at super intelligence level and you figured out how to align that. And of course, what's important when you're doing this is like at edge, each step, you have to make enough progress on the problem that you're confident that GPT N plus one is aligned enough that you can use it for alignment research. Did the release of ChatGPT increase or reduce AI extinction risk? Okay, um, here's another question. OpenAI's decision to create and launch ChatGPT has probably sped up AI research because there's now a rush into the field as people were really impressed with it. But it has also prompted a flurry of concerns about safety and new efforts to do preparation ahead of time to see off possible threats. With the benefit of hindsight, do you think that moved to release ChatGPT uh, increased or reduced um, AI extinction risk, all things considered? I think that's a really hard question. And I think, I don't know if we can really definitively answer this now. I mean, what do I think? I think fundamentally it probably would have been better to wait with ChatGPT and release it a little bit later. I think also to some extent, like this whole thing was inevitable and like, you know, it at some point the public will have realized how good language models have gotten. And in you could also say it's been surprising that it went this long before it was that was the case. And I was honestly really happy how much it has like shifted the conversation or like advanced the conversations around risks from AI, but also, you know, the real kind of like alignment work that has been happening on like, you know, we can actually make things so much better and we should do more of that. And I think both of these are really good. And like you can now argue over like, you know, what the timing should have been and like whether it would have happened anyways. I think it would have happened anyways. And like, on a high level, right? Like I think, you know, like when people are asking these questions, which are really good questions to ask, which is like, well, can't we all just like stop doing AI if we wanted to? And like it feels so easy, right? Just like just stop, just don't do it. Like, wouldn't that be a good thing? And like, but and also in practice, there's just like so many forces in the world that keep this going, right? Like, let's say OpenAI just decides, oh, we're not gonna train a more capable model, just not do it. OpenAI could do that. And then, you know, like there's a bunch of open AI competitors who might still do it. And then, you know, you still have AI. Okay, let's get them on board. Like, let's get the top five AGI labs or like that five tech companies that will train the biggest models and like get them to promise it. Okay, now you've promised them. Like they promised, well, now there's going to be a new startup and there's going to be a tons of new startup. And like, and then you get into, well, people are still making transistors smaller. So you'll just get more capable GPUs, which means the cost to like train a model that is more capable than any other model that has been trained so far, it still goes down exponentially year over year. And so now you're going to semiconductor companies and you're like, okay, can you guys chill out? Like, and they're like, fine, like, you know, you can get on board. And then like, you know, now there's like upstream, like companies who work on like 
UV lithography or something. And they're like, well, we're working, we've working on like making the next generation of chips. And we've been working on this since the 90s. And then you get them to chill out. And it's like, it's a really complicated coordination problem that isn't just like, okay, can we, and like, you don't even, it's not even that easy to figure out who else is like involved. And so I'm personally, you know, I think humanity can do a lot of things if it really wants to. And I think if like, you know, if things actually get really, really scary, I think there's a lot of things that can happen. But also fundamentally, I think it's not an easy problem to solve and I don't want to assume it's being solved. What I want to do is I want to ensure we can make as much alignment progress as possible in the time that we have. And then if we get more time, great. And then like maybe we'll need more time and then we'll figure out how to do that. But what if we don't? I still want to be able to solve alignment. Like I don't want to I don't, I still want to win in the worlds where, you know, like we don't get extra time or like, you know, people just like for whatever reason, like yeah, things just move ahead. And like so however it goes, right? You could still come back to the question of like how do we solve these technical questions as quickly as possible? And that's I think what we really need to do. There's something interesting going on with RLHF. Yeah, I think in general, people are really excited about the uh, the research problems that like we are trying to solve. And I think in in a lot of ways, I think they're like really interested, interesting from from a machine learning perspective. Um, I think it's also, I don't know, I think like the announcement kind of showed that we are like serious about working on this and that we're like trying to get a really high caliber team on this problem and that we like are trying to make a lot of progress quickly and like tackling ambitious ideals. Um, I think also like, especially in the last kind of six months or so, there's been a lot of more interest from the machine learning community in these kind of problems. And like, I think also kind of like the success of ChatGPT and similar systems has made it really clear that there's something interesting going on with RLHF. And like, there's something interesting about this. There's like something real about this alignment problem, right? Like if you compare ChatGPT to the original base model, like they're, they're actually quite different. And there's like something important that's happening here. Yeah, listen back to our interview from five years ago, and we, we talked a lot about uh, reinforcement learning from from human feedback because that was that was new and that was the hot thing back then. Was OpenAI or uh, are you involved in in coming up with that method? Yes, that's right. So I think more accurately, we're probably like a lot of different people in the world invented it. And like before we did the deep RL from human preferences paper, there were like other previous research that has had done RL from human feedback in various forms. Uh, but it it wasn't using deep learning systems, and it was mostly just like you know proof of concept style things. And then you know like the deeper all from human preference paper was joint work with uh, Paul Cristiano and Dario Amade and, and me. And like I think we kind of all independently came to the conclusion that this is like the way to go. And then we like collaborated, and that and that's turned out to be like really key to getting ChatGPT to work as well as it as it does. Right. That's right. And uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of been wild to me how well it actually worked. And, like, I, I think if you if you look at the, like, original, like, Instruct GPT paper, one of the headline results that we had was that actually the GPT-2-sized system, which is, like, two orders of magnitude smaller than uh, GPT-3 in terms of parameter count, was actually preferred... Like the Instruct GPT version of that was preferred over the GPT-3 base model. Yeah. And so this like 
vastly cheaper, simpler, smaller system. Actually, once you made it aligned, it's so much better than than the big system. And like to some extent, it's not surprising because you train it on human preferences. Of course, it's going to be better for human preferences. But then, but it packs a know, huge punch. <laughs> yeah, but also like, why the hell haven't you been training on human preferences? Obviously, that's what you should do because that's what you want. You want a system that humans prefer, right? Like it's kind of in hindsight, it's like so obvious, you know. <laughs> yeah. Backup plans. So you and your team are going to do your your absolute best with this, but uh, it might not, it might not work out. And I suppose if if you don't manage to solve this problem and we just barrel ahead with the capabilities, then the end result could conceivably be that everyone dies. So in that situation, it seems like humanity should have a backup plan, probably hopefully several backup plans, uh, if only so that the whole weight of the shoulder uh, world isn't resting on your shoulders and uh, you can get some sleep at night. Um, what sort of backup plan uh, would you prefer us to have? Do you have any, uh, any any ideas there? I mean, I think there's a lot of other kind of like plans that are already in motion. There's like, this is not like the world's only bet, right? Like there's uh, alignment teams at, at Anthropic and DeepMind that are trying to solve a similar problem. There's like various ways that you could like try to buy more time or like various like other governance structures that you want to put in place to like govern AI and like make sure it's like used beneficially. Yeah, I think like solving the core technical challenges of alignment are going to be critically important, but it won't be the only ones, right? Like we still have to make sure that like AI is aligned with some kind of notion of democratic values or like not like something that tech companies decide unilaterally and like we still have to do something about like misuse from AI and like yeah alliance systems wouldn't let themselves be misused if if they can help it but you know there's still a question of like how does it fit into the larger context of like what's going on in, in like in society right like you could be as a human you can be working for an organization that you don't really understand what it does and it's like actually negative without like you being able to see that um, or like, you know, if just because we can align open AI's models doesn't mean that somebody else builds unaligned AI. Like, how do you solve that problem? That seems really important. Um, how do you like make sure that AI doesn't differentially uh, empower like, you know, people who are already powerful, but like also helps mar- marginalized groups? That seems really important. And then ultimately, right, like you also want to be able to avoid these structural risks where let's say we solve alignment and like everyone makes a system that's really aligned with them but then you know like uh, what what ends up happening is that you kind of like just turbocharge the existing capitalist system essentially corporations get really good at like maximizing their shareholder returns because they that's what they align AIs to but then like humans fall by the wayside where like you know that doesn't necessarily encompass all the other things you value, like clean air or something. And we've seen like early indications of this, right? Like global warming is happening, even though we know the, the fundamental problem, but like progress and like uh, all the economic activity that we do still drives it forward. And so even though we like do all of these things right, we might still get into a system that like ends up being bad for humans, even though nobody actually who participates in the system wants it that way. So, so you're going to do your job, but a lot of other people have also got to do their jobs. <laughs> a lot of That's other people right. have brought an ecosystem. There's gotta, a lot to do. We yeah. need to make the future go well. And there's, that requires many parts, and this is just one of them. Should we be worried about connecting models to everything? 
Back in March, you tweeted, uh, before we scramble to deeply integrate large language models everywhere in the economy, can we pause and think about whether it's wise to do so? This is quite immature technology and we don't understand how it works. If we're not careful, we're setting ourselves up for a lot of correlated failures. And uh, a couple of days after that, OpenAI opened up GPT-4 to be connected to various plugins through its through its API. And <laughs> one listener was curious to hear more about what you meant by that and whether there might be a disagreement within OpenAI about how soon GPT-4 should be hooked up to the internet and integrated into into other services. Yeah, I I realized that tweet was like somewhat ambiguous and like you know it was read in lots of different ways. Like fundamentally, what plugins allows you to do is like nothing on top of that you couldn't do with the API, right? Like plugins doesn't really add anything like fundamentally new that people couldn't already do. And I think OpenAI like is like very aware of like what can go wrong when you like hook up plugins to the system and like, you know, you have to have the sandbox, you have to be like careful, you have to like, you know, when you let people spend money and like all of these questions, but they're also like sitting right next to us and we talk to them about it and like, you know, they've been thinking about it. But, you know, if given like how much excitement there was to just like try GPT-4 on all the things, what I really wanted to do also is like, look... This is not quite mature. Like the, the system will fail. Don't connect it to all of the things yet. Like, like make sure there's like a failback system. Like make sure you've really played with the model to understand its limitations. If you have the model write code, make sure you're like reading the code uh, and understanding it, or like executing it in the sandbox because otherwise the system might break the like where like wherever you're writing the code. It might break that system and like just be careful be wise like make sure you understand what you're doing here and not just like hook it up to everything and like see how it goes yeah. i guess on this topic of just plugging things into the internet many years ago uh people uh talked a lot about that they kind of had this assumption that if we had an intelligent system that what that was as capable as gpt4 that probably we would keep it in a lead contained box and wouldn't plug it up to the internet because we'd be would be worried about it but it seems like the current culture is just that as soon as a model is made, it just gets deployed onto the internet right away. Like, it seems like your plan... I mean, that's not quite right, right? No? Like, okay, oh, go on. We had GPT-4 for like eight months before we actually like, you know, it was publicly available. And uh, we did like a lot of safety tests. We like did a lot of red teaming. We like made a lot of progress on its alignment. And we didn't just connect it to everything immediately. I think that's... Okay, yeah. But like, I think what you're actually trying to say is like, you know, many years ago, people were arguing over like, oh, but if you make, you know, AGI, can't you just keep it in the box and then like yeah. it'll never break out and we'll never do anything bad. Like, and you're like, well, it seems like that ship has sailed <laughs> and, and now is, like yeah. we've connecting it to everything. And that's like partially what I'm like trying to allude here is like, you know, we should be mindful when we do connect it. Yeah. And just because GPT-4 is on the API doesn't mean that every future model will be like immediately available for everything and everyone in every case right like this is kind of the difficult line that you have to walk where you're like you know you want to empower everyone with ai or like as many people as possible um but at the same time you have to like also be mindful of mis misuse and you have to be mindful of like you know the ways like all the other things that you can could go around with the model like misalignment being one of them and so yeah how do you balance that trade-off? That's like one of the key questions. Yeah. It seems like one way of breaking up would be, you know, uh, connected to the internet versus not. But uh, 
I feel like often people, I, I'm guilty of this as well. We're just, we're thinking either it's kind of deployed on the internet and consumers are using it, or it's like safely in the lab and there's, and there's no problem. But there's this intermediate stage. I mean, where, there could also be problems if you have it in a lab. Right? Well, that's what that's I'm saying. That, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. And, and I feel like sometimes people lose track of that. That you know, misuse is kind of an issue if it reaches uh, you know the broader public. But misalignment can be an issue yeah. if something is merely trained and is just being used inside uh, a company because it, you know it will be figuring out <laughs> how can it how could it end up having broader broader impacts. And I think because we tend to like cluster all of these like risks or like tend to speak very broadly, uh, the fact that a model can be dangerous if it's simply trained, even if it's like never uh, hooked up to the internet, uh, is something that we really need to keep in mind. And, and I guess it sounds like at OpenAI, people will keep that in mind. That's right. And like, I mean, we have to, like safety reviews really need to start before you even start the training run. Jobs with the super alignment team. We are primarily hiring for research engineers, research scientists, and research managers. And I expect there'll be like, like we'll be continuing to hire like a lot of people. We'll probably like at least 10 before the end of the year is my guess. And then like, you know, maybe even more in the like years after that. Yeah. So what is all of these, like, you know, what, what do you like research engineers, research scientists, research managers, what, what do they, what do these roles look like? So in a way, we don't actually make a strong distinction between research engineer and research scientist at OpenAI. And like, whether like you know, in each of these roles, you're like expected to write code, you're expected to run your own experiments. And in fact, I think it's really important to like always be running lots of experiments, like small experiments, testing your ideas quickly, uh, and then like you know, iterating and like trying to learn more about the world. And uh, in general, like. There's no PhD required for like also for the research scientist roles. And really, you don't even have to like have worked in alignment before. And in fact, like, you know, it might be good if you didn't, because you'll have a new perspective on the problems that we're trying to solve. And what we generally love for people to bring though is like a good understanding of how the technology works, right? Like you you understand language models. You understand like reinforcement learning, for example. You can like build and implement like you know, ML experiments and debug them. And then on like you know the research scientists, more research scientists end of the spectrum. I think you would be expected a lot more to think about like what experiments to do next, or like come up with ideas of like how. Like, how can we, like, address the problems that we're trying to solve? Or, like, you know, what is, well, like, some other th- problems that we aren't thinking about that maybe we, we should be thinking about, right? Or, you know, like, how should we design the experiments that we, like, will, like, let us learn more? And then on the research engineering spectrum, there's a lot of kind of, like, you know, let's just actually build the things that let us run these things. And, like, let's, you know, make the progress that we already know. Like, if we have a bunch of good ideas, that will not be enough, right? Like, we actually have to then test them and build them and, like, actually ship something that other people can use. And that involves writing a lot of code. And that involves, like, debugging ML and, like, run, like you know, running lots of sweeps of experiments, like, getting big training runs on, like, you know, GPT-4 and other big models set up. And so I think in practice, actually, most people on the team like kind of move somewhere on the spectrum and like, you know, some sometimes there's like more coding because we kind of know what to do. Sometimes there's more researchy because we don't know yet know what to do. And we're like kind of like starting a new project. 
but uh, yeah, in general, like I think you'll have to just you need a lot of like critical thinking and like you know asking important questions and like you know getting being very curious about the world or like you know and the technology that we're building. Yeah, and for the research manager, basically. That's a role where like you're like managing a small or medium sized or large even large team of research engineers and research scientists towards a specific goal. And so there you're like you you should be like setting the direction of like, you know, what are the next milestones? Where should we go? Like how can we like make this weight question of like, you know, we wanna understand this type of generalization or like we wanna, you know, like we wanna make a data set for like automated alignment research or something like that, right? Like you have to break it down and like make it more concrete and like figure out what people can be doing. But also like, you know, there's a lot of just like day-to-day management of like, how do you, how can we like make people motivated and, and productive, but also like make sure they can work together and like just, you know, traditional management stuff. 